Welcome to season two of the Gutsiest Brands podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. We're back with more guts and more brands, and we're delighted to bring you a new collection of engaging stories and lessons from some of the world's leading brands and brand leaders. Gutsy brands are exciting because they seek to create a deep bond with people by leading with empathy, pioneering new ideas, standing behind bold ideas, and refusing to compromise. In today's episode, Jess Gedeke sits down to chat with Attica Jakes, a brand marketing leader who's worked with some of the gutsiest brands in the business. Attica has worked with global icons such as Google, Under Armour, Gap, and Prada. Listen in while Jess and Attica discuss how including diverse perspectives can help build a successful and lasting brand, how people are at the center of everything, and how the beauty industry has set the standard for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Attica, I mean it. I am very excited to talk with you today. Not only are we fellow chief members, but I'm aware of all the great work that you're doing at Google. So I'm truly enthusiastic to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. It's incredible to be here with you today. Thank you. So let's start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and some of the brands that you've led as part of your background. Absolutely. Um, Interestingly enough, I actually started in luxury fashion, working both at Barney's and Prada in the early days of my career, then went on to Gap, where for around 10 years, I actually worked on the international part of the business, which was exciting because it took me everywhere in the wor- around the world, but it also allowed me to really understand consumers from different places and segmentation. So that was exciting. Um, then I followed my passion in sport and went to Under Armour. Then I also followed my heart back home and came back to San Francisco in tech at Google. I mean, that is a list of brands, my friend, that is pretty impressive. And it's almost like you got to jot down all of your favorite passions and you got to build a career around it. That's pretty cool. I think so, too. It is cool. I think, you know, we always talk about following our passion. And I think that's when work feels less like work because you are so embedded in it. Um, And I think for me, too, I've always wanted this sense of learning something new. And sometimes when you're able to change different sectors and different passions, you're able to really learn and grow. And I think that's always been something that follows me in my career. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're going to get into some of those aspects about your career in greater depth. But before we do that, I want to go back in time and start with you personally. What was the very first job that you had in your life? Okay. Truthfully, truthfully, I used to work at a pizza place and I think it literally ruined pizza for me as a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) I just now started liking pizza again. (laughs) You're back Um, at it. But seriously, I, my first real job outside of the pizza, pizza company was, um, was I started working in retail. I worked at Nordstrom in San Francisco. And I think that really just started the bug of really having a passion around retail and fashion. Mm -hmm. As well as consumer experiences. So I'm sure we'll hear about that too. So I'd love to dig into our characteristics of Gutsy Brands and start with one that happens to be my personal favorite, which is leading with empathy. And, you know, if you think about it, Google, perhaps more than any other brand in the world, has this opportunity to impact the daily lives of a significant portion of human beings on the planet. It's really incredible and really powerful. And if you think back to 2020, 
and the racial awakening that was going on in our society, you and your team were in a really unique position and had an opportunity to ask yourselves, how do we help? And so I'd love for you to tell us what your team undertook with Google search at the time and what kind of impact it had. Great question. I think, you know, we also have to remember during that time, not only were we reckoning with with racial equity, we also had a pandemic. So we had a health equity also coming. And I think it's one of those times, which you know so well, Jess, that you really have to listen to your consumers and really understand what's happening in the world before acting. And one of the things that we saw just in businesses is that Black-owned businesses were failing at a rate twice of non-Black-owned businesses. So I think in 2021, they were failing at 41% of Black-owned businesses by the end of the year had, had already had to shutter, which was an alarming rate. At the same time, we also saw within search trends that our search trends for Black-owned businesses were up by over a thousand percent. So you kind of put those two things together and you think about what are the ways in which we can help in powerful ways and ways that we even enable people to information so that they can participate. Um, So worked really closely with our engineering team and was able to launch search Black-owned businesses to get people closer to what they were searching for. And that had a positive impact on those businesses. It elevated them. They were more easy to find. And it had an impact on their bottom line and really the economy ultimately. Yeah, it's incredible to think about all the lives that that impacted. And, you know, that's not easy to do in a business. So how did you do that so quickly at Google? Do you have any tips for how to get that type of initiative through through the gate so quickly? I think, you know, the biggest one for, for me and particularly for marketers is really putting people at the center and pulling our customers at the center and listening. And I think so much of what you guys, what you do, which is really listening to consumers. And I always say we want to listen, but then we also want to be in a place to take action. So it's also what you do with those learnings after you listen to take action that really makes a powerful difference. Sure. Well, it's a great case study. And again, just had such a tremendous impact on businesses and people and the human beings that we all care about around the planet. So wonderful example. So we honor brands and leaders that stand behind bold ideas, even if they're not well understood or popular at the time. And when you and I chatted, you have a whole host of examples of doing this. Like you really embody this boldness. But, you know, one that struck me is Google's partnership with the WNBA which sadly is still a bold idea. So when we think about, you know, companies, partnerships, uh, predominantly with with the male franchises versus where where dollars don't get diverted as often to some of the the female franchises out there. So I'd love to hear from you. How did you build conviction for that kind of partnership? Yeah, I mean, it really starts with finding a tribe who have a lot of the same values. And I think You know, at Google, we did have so many people, men included, that did have conviction around gender equity. When we think about the lens of our female athletes on top of that and the rate at which they were making so much less to the dollar, there was also another opportunity for us to how do we bring more brand awareness? You know, and I think the biggest thing that we did was rather than most brands who, when they sign with the NBA, they activate and they invest in NBA and NBA players. And we started with the WNBA first. 
Um, and to be honest, the WNBA has been at the forefront of leading with their values of winning all the things that you want to be associated with for a brand. So I had, it was easier to have conviction because I had a tribe of people who did believe that we could make a difference. And, and we did. And hopefully, you know, we'll have a ton of other brands that can see the power in women's sports and also invest in women. Mm-hmm. I love this idea of a tribe. And, and I'm guessing that not just at Google, but other brands that you've led, you've, you've built that similar tribe. So I don't know. How do you how do you get the right people around you? I don't I wouldn't say that I'm as um, intentional about it. I think it's those times where you look around and people show up for you and you realize that you really have built a tribe. Mm -hmm. It are also those times where you show up for other people and you realize that you are a part of their tribe. So if you, if you don't have that, we all we all need that for sure. And I think you and I both being members of Chief, you know, I, I was just reading an article the other day where a woman talked about how she um, had lost her job. And this was about two years ago and was asking for help. And it was a fellow member of Chief said, call me. And one of the things she said is after she was crying was, was go ahead, let it out. Don't be in your feelings, be with your feelings. And I'm gonna be here for you. And so they remain friends. So the the coach who had helped her through it launched a book and she was basically just singing her praises, right? So they became each other's tribes because they really showed up for each other. And I think we all need that, men, women, any kind of identity that you have um, and allies. We need to have, have tribes around us and we also need to be on in someone's tribe. Yeah. Oh, what a great example. And be with your feelings. There's something very action oriented about that, right? It's something that you're actually in charge of moving forward. I really like that. What a great story. So pioneering a new path or a new way of doing business, we believe is really core to gutsy brands and leaders. And you are such a strong advocate for DEIB, both externally, how you talk to the marketplace, but also internally at Google. So I'd love for you to share some of the ways that you have embedded that deeper appreciation and celebration of diversity at Google. I think I think the biggest one was as a leader, as a Black woman, realizing that you're still one perspective. And I think you may have a lot of intersectionality, but you have to bring more people to the t- table that have a diverse perspective. And honestly, I, I really recommend to many brands, it's just like, we have to make those tables bigger because we cannot be the onlys. We cannot represent all underrepresented people. And we have to, there's just so much value. I learned so much from my team every day at Google, outside of Google, and being able to be open to listening and to learning from their diverse perspectives. And at Google specifically, we have a team that created an inclusive marketing consultants uh, that was ran by Alicia Jennings, incredible marketer, but you know, more importantly, she really created a safe space for people to provide a point of view and to provide intersectional perspectives to ensure that the work is better. And I can't tell you the amount of times that just being able to listen, give feedback, and honestly, difficult feedback, that the work became better almost every time. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's my biggest advice is to really just make the table bigger, 
You don't have to be the one and only if you do identify with an underrepresented group and we can all win when we do that. Yeah. I think that's so powerful and it speaks to not just the culture that is being created within your team, within Google, with that type of larger table, but also the larger your table, the more likely I believe you are to have someone that's going to represent ultimately your consumer base, right? Because your consumer base is diverse and, you know, it's so important that people out there see products, see services that they, they really believe are for them. And that's so important. So I, I don't know, across different categories, I think that's important. But I wonder, did you have any examples for maybe your retail background where, you know, making sure that your consumer base felt seen and heard um, was it was a focus? Yeah, there was a great example. Um, when we were, when I was working at Under Armour, part of the business that I worked on was women's and youth. And at that time, basketball and it still is you know was one of our, our our biggest sport categories and we had a signature shoe with Stephen Curry the Currys and we also had girls who played basketball that did not see themselves in our product because we didn't sell quote unquote girls basketball shoes so we had this incredible girl who called us out on it and told us that girls ball too And I can't believe that you guys just have, or you people just have um, basketball shoes that are for boys. And it was a massive blind spot for us. And, uh, and one of the ways that we, 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 we brought um, her in and we just listened and she ultimately co-designed a shoe with Stephen Curry for girls basketball. And so, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the boldest thing that a brand can do is to listen, to learn, take action. And then you get to co-create something that was better than where you started because you're listening to your audience. Absolutely. And that sounds so similar to the, the power of and characteristic that we love to talk about is seeing opportunities where others might see a barrier, right? Because that could have been a pretty serious comms crisis for the brand, right? But instead of saying, oh, what are we going to do? And kind of shying away from it, um, getting to a better result. And I'm struck by this girl. What an amazing resume point to say, yeah, I co-created a shoe with Steph Curry. No big deal. Right. At 11. (laughs) Not bad, right? That's really phenomenal. And there too, I'm just struck by the fact that that had to take some pretty rapid internal collaboration to make that work. Was there anything... And during that experience that really could shed light on how you could move so quickly and, and get to that result. I think the biggest one is even when you're at a big brand to really have an entrepreneurial mindset, right? Which is that you can really own the process, but not get mired down by the process. You know, um, one of the things I always say too, and we, we forget this, but brands are like people and we do make mistakes, We also have relationships with our audience, with our customers, with our users, and they can be incredibly forgiving when we own up to those mistakes and and move on and move on with with a really clear perspective. Yeah. And that speaks also to the empathy aspect, right? When you can see your consumers as human beings and your consumers can embed your brand in their life in a really deep way, um, you know, great results can come from that. So that's that's a really strong point there really understanding the importance of, I think most brands, most people, most allies 
are starting to recognize when diverse perspectives are missing and are doing a lot more to bring in those perspectives. And I think the biggest opportunity that we have is to not stop. I think, you know, the consistency, I think, especially now with so much that is happening in the world from a macro standpoint, that diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging can now kind of fall at a place where it becomes less important. And we just have to ensure that we really do not pump the brakes, that it becomes a part of what we do, that we really build the muscle and continue to be intentional about it. And also when we have some learnings to take action, and I would say we're just at a different place than we were maybe two years ago as people were really listening and learning, that we have to ensure that this is everyday, all day work, that we're listening, we're learning, we're including, and we're taking action. Yeah. So don't stop. I love that mantra. Yes. So if you think about some of these characteristics we've been discussing, particularly leading with empathy, I'd love to know from you, what role do consumer understanding and market research play into your ability to lead brands in a gutsy way? I think the biggest one, you know, we have this huge opportunity to get more insights and deeper insights in real time. I think we're all feeling this pull where culture where news is moving at such lightning speed that as we are working on one project and sometimes we're planning projects over a year in advance, but some of the macro and social and economic issues that are happening today have changed. And I think hopefully values stay the same, but the way in which you communicate and what's most important to consumers may change. So I think being able to be very agile in that is incredibly important. Um, So I say all that to say that it's just like we have to listen and learn every step of the way. It's so true. And I I love the point about your brand values are not going to change based on what's going on, you know, societally month to month, but how you maybe interact with your consumer might and how you engage with your consumer might based on their needs and their, their underlying motivations and emotions in the moment. And so that's a delicate balance of how to make sure that you are staying true to the things that are core to your, your brand and your strategy, but also really able to flex and adapt to the moment. So are there other brands from your experience or that you experience as a consumer that you think embody some of these traits that we haven't talked about yet? So interesting. If you had talked to me 10 years ago, I probably would have never said this category of brands, but I have been lately so impressed with the beauty industry. And if you think about like most improved industries, particularly as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and honestly, sales, right? Driving the bottom line Mm -hmm. that the beauty industry, you know, think about the Sephora's of the world that really think about changing the face of beauty or Fenty or Glossier or just so many choices that we have, but even above choice, they actually are standing for much bigger values. Yeah, I love the Sephora example of a retail experience where you can pick one color of the basket if you do want people to approach you and help you, and another color of basket if I think they joke that it's the introvert one. And I just think that that's so insightful to how consumers probably want to interact in their store. Some want the full engagement, others don't. And that speaks to the to the choice of the experience. But also when you say choice, I think you're also talking about basically like, you know, the number of, of SKUs they have in their portfolio and all the different options for different types of, of beauty on different types of bodies. And so I agree. I think that's a, a great sector and one that 
who knows, maybe your next foray. You've been in so many cool industries, Attica, maybe beauty's next for you. You never know. You never know. It's so interesting that, you know, and I think about consumer experience a lot and they have also, and many beauty brands that have even like Glossier, for example, started digitally first, right. And then went into a retail experience, really thinking about how consumers are being inspired. And what I also love about the world of beauty right now is people are actually being more inspired by each other. And you see like the beauty bloggers and what they're able to do in terms of transforming. It's just a pretty inspiring place, especially as you you relate it to consumers and marketing and retail and omni-channel, that it really is a really rich experience. Yeah. I can't imagine, I'm a 13-year-old daughter, so I, I am close to it now, but I can't imagine growing up in this world where I could see 18 different examples of how to use the curling wand. I would have been <laughs> way better at the whole beauty game if I grew up in that environment. But yeah, you know. I... I, I'm always blown away by seeing what I always think you need a professional, but I think now everyone feels empowered to, you know, to sort of dictate the kind of beauty that they want, but they have choices, but now they're also empowered with, with the way that they want to show up, which mm-hmm. is pretty, pretty awesome. It was probably different than when we were growing up. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So if you think about the future, um, do you think the characteristics of gutsiness will change or will, will certain components become even more important? I do. You know, we talked a little bit about the importance of being able to move at this at the speed of culture and to listen and to learn and to make decisions faster. And I think um, on top of that, when we think about leadership within within the ability to be able to be gutsy, is I think there's three big things that we we all must have, and this relates to people and it relates to brands. And you spoke a lot about it, which leading first is leading with empathy. You know, the the ability to also be humble and have humility and to also be resilient. And for me, Gutsy is about having confidence without arrogance. And that's where I would like to see the future go. So we're going to our first lightning round, Spill Your Guts. This is all about you personally. There are no right or wrong answers. What is the first brand that you remember from your childhood? All I remember is symbols and I feel like car symbols are the things that come to mind. I don't know why, but car symbols, Volkswagen, Mercedes, um, BMW, but Mm -hmm. really symbols. And I think that that speaks a lot to my, just my visual memory. Yeah. Well, visual brand identity is a thing and you know, the importance of a good icon. I mean, you look at your phone and this is the, the icon you're seeing. So that's a good one. Very on brand for you. I like it. And how do you describe your job to a child? It's so funny. I have a six-year-old. I want to say it was maybe a year or two ago. <laughs> he was quite upset that his um, his streaming show was being interrupted by a commercial. <laughs> and I've tried so many times to kind of share, you know, some of what mommy does. And he thinks, you know, we're just on meetings, but the creative aspect of it. And I think for him, it's like, don't interrupt my commercial. Um, and then the other piece, the other piece for him is connecting with music and other kids. And it reminded me, it reminds me that how important it is that that everything be relevant to someone. So I still have not been able to tell him what I do. He thinks I'm basically on Zoom calls all day. 
Um, but I have been able to share with him commercials that he that are relevant to him and he and he kind of gets it. Yeah. And that's a cool way to illustrate, you know, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. I get chastised by my kids that I'm on a screen all day. I'm like, yeah, like that's work. <laughs> I think it is important for us at some point, you know, to also show the idea of teamwork because they're not able to see that in the same way that you would when, when people are more in person and, you know, the work that they may be able to see re- be relevant for them in school and working together that we also do, you know, in our careers. And I especially think about that within branding and marketing that we're creating and we're developing and we're doing it with and for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's an area that I really want kids, you know, and hopefully future brand marketers to be able to see that as well. Yeah. You know, that was one um, positive outcome to me of the pandemic and the the switch to virtual learning or digital learning is my kids understood that I'm in a Zoom call, but I'm collaborating with my with my class. I'm listening to my teacher. I'm getting my work done. I think it was like a different appreciation for what it meant for because I've worked virtually forever. And I think it was a different appreciation that was kind of a cool outcome because I think they do understand, wow, I could do different jobs from all over the globe. So it just opens up the opportunities. We like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So what is the most used emoji on your phone? The thank you emoji a lot. And lately a lot of laughter emojis. So I guess there's like a lot of laughter, a lot of gratitude lately. That seems like a good vibe. I'm done with that. That's cool. (laughs) Okay. We have a gutsiest brands playlist on Spotify. It's like really, really strong. Um, And so we like to capture songs from each of the people that we interview. What song would you add to that Gutsiest Brands playlist? I have been playing Solange on repeat lately. Mm -hmm. So I would probably have to say right now, Cranes by Solange. I tried to work it away, but that just made me even sadder. Excellent. That's going to be a perfect addition. So thank you for that one. Awesome. Attica, this has been such a joy, truly. I, I'd love to continue talking with you. I feel like we could talk all day. Um, thanks for joining us on our podcast. And thank you for being such a, a great client partner to Gut Check as well. Thank you so much, Jess. You know, I have to say so much of my values and what I believe in listening to people, listening to our consumers and taking action has to do with being able to partner with Gut Check because you guys allow us to do that in a way that's fast, it's simple, and it's authentic. So I truly love the partnership. Just thank you. Oh man, we cherish that. Thank you for everything you do. Wow, Jess, that was a powerful episode. It really, really was. And I have to say, I think Attica is very special. I observe that she really exudes her ethos and has a genuine point of view. And the number of stories that she told us, but also could have told us, like, wow, I just learned a lot. Definitely. And if I'm honest, I think every other thing she said was a takeaway. But let's give it a try anyway. What were today's biggest takeaways? Yes, absolutely. I mean, first, I just love where we started and how Google search really helped consumers to better find Black-owned businesses, especially at the onset of the of the pandemic when those businesses were, were suffering disproportionately. And I love these examples because it's an example here how technology can actually help the world. And I, I think what was really important as a sub-bullet to that, though, was Atticus' comment about how this advocacy and this kind of, you know, awakening period 
can't stop. Um, and I, I just think that idea of don't stop advocating is really important. So I love the thread from sort of the business angle of what Google was able to do, but then that idea of the advocacy, you know, continuing. And the other piece is this undercurrent of listening. I mean, it was so embedded throughout our conversation, whether it was at Under Armour, listening to, you know, that vocal uh, young girl who said, hey, I'm a baller. Why don't you have a shoe for me? Which I just love. I want to meet that that girl someday. Um, Or the importance of listening to your audience so that you can have the courage to act. To me, that is the most important embodiment of gutsiness. And it was in plain view in today's discussion. You know, she mentioned about how the beauty industry has like the most improved when it comes to diversity, equality and inclusion. And it reminded me that I think, yes, they are listening to their audience because there are examples all over the place right now, uh, not to name drop her again, because she always comes up. But Selena Gomez has created this beauty brand called Rare Beauty. And it's being praised all over TikTok because it's inclusive and accessible, especially for people with limited mobility. So that really, um, I don't know, that stood out to me. And I, I agree with her. Yeah. You know, seeing products and services out there that make you feel like they are for you, that's all about empathy. And so I think that was just embedded throughout. Absolutely. And overall, I was just so inspired by Attica's concept of building this team of influencers and advocates and teammates so that, you know, when you have that around you, have that support, you can do things like stand behind bold ideas and pioneer new paths when you have those thought partners around you. Um, So I hope that Attica considers us at Gut Check and Taluna part of her advocate community because we are absolutely behind her. It was a great conversation. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. If you're looking to be inspired, head over to the Gutsiest Brands playlist on Spotify to hear the song selections from all of our amazing guests.